My topic today is titled, An Incredible Experience. So if you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 4. We're going to camp out there today. I love spiritual experiences with God. Have you ever asked yourself this question? My current circumstance that's really, really painful, really, really difficult, really, really long and convoluted, what would happen if I invited God to turn it into a spiritual experience? What would happen if I looked at it differently than how I'm looking at it now? Would I experience a comeback, a strengthening? I want to take you now to see how Jesus caused the disciples, which means a disciplined follower, disciples of, of, you know, of himself, to have an incredible experience. Look at Mark 4, verse 35. It says, That day when evening came, he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet. Be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What is the perspective that we need to have if we want to see our circumstance turned into an incredible experience with God, what adjustment, what shift, what view must we have? Let's pull apart this story and see what comes to the surface. First thing I see is this. Jesus barks out this command. Let's cross over. Let's go over to the other side. There's always another side. The side that you're on, that's not the only side. It can be the most dynamic, most exhilarating, the most successful that you've ever experienced in your life. But guess what? Jesus tells us, let's go across to the other side. There's always another side, a better side. A side filled with more promises. A side filled with more deliverances. A side filled with more breakthroughs. A side filled with more souls to be one for the kingdom of God. Ladies and gentlemen, there's always another side. Don't get stuck to where you are right now thinking that you've hit the pinnacle of your growth. You've not. You've hit the pinnacle of your knowledge of God. You've not. You've hit the pinnacle of your intimacy in your marriage. You have not. You've hit the pinnacle of your success vocationally. You have not. There's always another side. Let's take a step back. Because the Bible says that day evening had come. 
But when you check back in Mark chapter 3 and then the beginning of Mark chapter 4, what you find is that Jesus had a full day. In fact, during that day, some of the spiritual leaders, some of the religious leaders in his day that were very, very jealous of him, they called him this really blasphemous name. You can almost hear them. It's like they're stammering to come up with a name. You, 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 you are demon-possessed. They called Jesus demon-possessed. I mean, could you imagine that? And on top of that, his mother and his brothers, they came unexpectedly to visit him. And some people, while Jesus teaching, say, Hey, Jesus, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. They, they want to see you. Then after that, Jesus continues teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, the reign, the rule, the domain of God's kingdom. And then Scripture tells us in verse 35, On the evening of that same day, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. There's always another side. And we interpret this verse, though, based on the latter part of the story. When Jesus chastised his disciples, he said to them, Why are you guys so afraid? Don't you have any faith? So this experience is all about faith. And so you may be going through something right now, and you need to see as natural, as earthy, it may be legal, it may be financial, it may be medical, maybe relational, maybe may, may any kind of thing that we can categorize as just something normal. Don't look at it that way. If you do, you'll miss out on something significant that can yield you an incredible experience with God. Take a step back and realize that this, what I'm going through, it's all about faith. Faith is not being blind. Faith is not being positive. Faith is not an optimistic view of life. We ought to be optimistic. We ought to be positive. But that's not faith. Faith is not being neutral and apathetic and say, well, whatever happens, you know, it's what God wants. That's what the disciples were doing. That's why Jesus rebuked or spoke to them in a scolding manner. Why are you guys so terrified? You've never engaged your faith. You never invited God into the equation here. You're just sitting around terrified because of the storm. Faith is when we are trusting God and we invite God into our circumstance that's very trying. Inviting Him through prayer, inviting Him through your obedience, saying, God, I know you've called me to go through to the other side. I want to invite you to do, to do something for me. And that's, where it means, that's what it means to, be, to have faith. A.W. Tozer said this, The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. See, Jesus commands us to go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be stuck at the same spiritual level where I am right now. I want to get to another level. And after that, another level. And after that, another level. The problem is that sometimes the growth, it's always dealing with difficulties. It's always dealing with difficulties. To cross over to the other side is what we're called to do. And so when we do that, 
It grows our faith. So I want to challenge you right now. Let's go on a spiritual adventure with God. Let's look at our challenge and look at our circumstance and look at our difficulty and look at what we're going through as an opportunity to let God be God in the midst of our situation. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to now invite God into what you're going through. Invite Him into that relational angst. Invite Him into that business problem. Invite Him into that legal circumstance. Invite Him into that medical issue that you're going through. And let's invite God and say, God, be God in the midst of what we're going through. Show me what you're going to do. And there are times when God shows you, you've got to know it's God. And you have a different perspective when you go through the, the, the trial. This building that you're sitting in, when we signed contracts to buy it, we needed certain approvals from the township. And when I signed contracts, didn't know that there was going to be all kinds of problems that's going to break out. God gave me a dream. In this spiritual dream, I was in a room that sat about 16, 1,700 people. It was jam-packed. And the people that were on the dais in front of the audience, they were asking me all kinds of technical questions, drilling me one question after another. And each time I answered their question, some people in the room got up and left. Then they threw some other technical questions at me, hard, convoluted, twisted questions. I answered their questions. Some other people got up and left. And finally, the scene changed. We were no longer in that large room. We were in a room that sat maybe about 100, 150 people tops. And then they asked me another question. And this question was so difficult, so convoluted. There's no real answer for that question. And then I said to them, when they asked me the question, I said, I have no answer for you. There's no answer for that question. Then I heard them whisper among themselves on the dais, at least we know he's honest. Then the scenes changed. And an official from the township of Rockaway in the dream stood up and said, Reverend Ireland, welcome to Rockaway. The dream ended. In the natural first meeting with the township, they had to meet in a regional high school that sat 16, 1,700 people. 16 police officers around the perimeter room because it was so you know, testy and so, and, and so difficult in terms of the atmosphere that, would be, that, that had been established that, that they didn't want us to be here. And then every question they threw at me, and I answered. Over the span of three and a half years to get the application approved, which would normally be a four or five month process, the crowd dwindled. The location changed two times. The third time, they brought it to the municipal building where it sat about 100 to 150 people. They asked me questions. I answered their question. When they gave us the approval, I was walking out to the parking lot and I'm flanked with two bodyguards because it had gotten so, you know, you know, so difficult and so heated. And the moment I got to my car, the chief of police was standing outside and he said, Reverend Ireland, I turned and I looked at him. He said, welcome to Rockaway. I point all that out to say that Just because you're going through difficulty, don't exempt yourself from being engaged in the faith process. So what we learn, Jesus invites us, let's go to the other side. But we must be mindful. Watch for storms. Look at the scripture. Verse 37 says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves splashed into the boat. So it was now filling the boat. What I read from the text is this. 
The moment you try to go to the other side, a storm arises. When Jesus had gotten in a boat and the disciples got in a boat, the, the water's fine. In fact, the geographical location of the lake, you know, the, the lake there, the, it's also referred to as the Sea of Galilee, it's surrounded by mountains, huge mountains. So the Sea of Galilee is like a basin. And it's been known for winds when it comes into that basin area, it just creates turbulence with the sea. Now, a bunch of the guys are on the boats were fishermen. Peter was on the boat, fishermen. His brother Andrew on the boat, fishermen. They had their own business. But that, yet these guys, they're on the boat and they're used to turbulence in the water. They're used to fishing at night or fishing in the early morning hours. And here they are in the boat. You know, they're, they're just, they're getting all frantic, panicking. And, and Jesus is, what's he doing? He's sleeping in the back of the boat. His head's on a pillow. Cushion, the scripture says. But what I learn from this passage is this. Just because I'm in a storm does not mean I'm out of the will of God. In fact, storms may verify that I'm in the will of God. Jesus was in the storm. Jesus was the one who barked out that command, let's go across to the other side. And they're in the boat, and they're going across to the other side, and a storm arose. So I want you to see, just because there's a storm going on in your life, doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. Storms verify, oftentimes, that you're in the will of God. Now, i got to step over here and say something separate than over there. That's, some of it, some of the, I would not use the word storm. Some of the craziness going on in your life has nothing to do with God. It has to do with you doing stupid things. A period has nothing to do with God. Don't blame the devil. Don't blame God. And I'm guilty of the same. I mean, we've done stupid things and then we, we try to spiritualize it. Don't spiritualize it. It was stupid. Go and fix it. Now, let me go back over here. Storms, when it's, how do you know it's a storm that God's involved in? You have no control over the outcome. Storms come to try to wreak havoc in your life, to cause you to have a detour from your destiny. Storms come to disrupt the equilibrium of your life. Storm comes to create chaos and disorder, to make you abandon what God's called you to do and to be. And so it's so important then that we understand the significance of that. And storms, they, they never come at the right time. You'd love for them to come at the right time, but they never do. I remember the biggest storm I ever experienced when I first came to Christ. I was 20 years old. And back then, I didn't even know how to pray. So I would listen to when people prayed, and if I liked the prayer that they were praying, I'd pray that same prayer. I mean, I so, was so new to my faith, I had no clue. And one day when I was at church, I heard my pastor pray this prayer. He said, God... Whatever you're doing in the earth today, include me. I said, man, what a, what a nice prayer. And so when I got back to the dorm, and it was my devotional time, I remember kneeling down in front of my bed, and I said, God, I remember his prayer. I said, God, whatever you're doing in the earth today, include me. Let me tell you something. Never pray that prayer. <laughs> 
Never pray that prayer. Here I am now, I'm a graduate student, and I'm out three months before or four months before graduation, and I'm new in my faith, three, about three, four months old in my faith, and so I'm praying this prayer, God, whatever you're doing in the earth today, whatever you're doing in China, whatever you're doing in Zimbabwe, whatever you're doing in Canada, whatever you're doing in Poland, God, whatever you're doing in the world today, include me. I want to be a part of that. Don't pray that prayer. And so... Three, four months before graduation, no job. And I'm sending out hundreds of resumes all over the place. My GPA was pretty high. I was on a full academic scholarship. And I, 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 I figured, I said, I don't know what is going on. I, I think maybe God's holding off of money or something. I, I don't know. And so I already started tithings when you give 10% of your income. I was on a scholarship where they gave you $550 a month as a stipend. So I would give, the moment I get my check, I give 55 bucks to the local church. I tithe. But I figured, well, what's going on, God? So I started to... I didn't even realize I was doing something wrong. I started saying, God, if you give me a job in my field by graduation day, forget the 10%. I'll give you 20% of my income. I didn't know I was blackmailing God. I mean, I was so ignorant in my faith. I'm blackmailing God. I'm saying, God, let's strike up a deal. And then so two months before graduation, no job. A month before graduation, I was saying, God, I'll give you 30%. I mean, I was up to 30%. I mean, I was so, so new and so, you know, you know, just unaware as to what's right and what's wrong. Spiritually, I had no clue I was blackmailing God. Graduation day came, no job in my field. The only job I can find was working in a pizza factory. I wasn't a design engineer. My job was to stand up in front of this conveyor belt. And this company manufactured frozen pizzas. And the frozen pizzas, because of the speed of the conveyor belt, some of them would jump off the conveyor belt about to hit the ground. My job was to push them back on, push them back on, push them back on. Here I am now, you know, undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering, master's degree in environmental engineering. I'm pushing frozen pizzas onto this conveyor belt. Push, get back on there, get back on there, get back on there. See, storms arise when you try to go to the other side. And it's all about faith. And with faith comes, the way you spell faith, it's R-I-S-K. There's going to be risk involved. And I don't know if you know what a definition is of risk. Let me give one to you. It's a divine opportunity surrounded by danger, but God is in it. You may say, I've never heard of the definition before. Where did you get it from? I made it up. It's a divine opportunity, surrounded by danger, but God is in it. See, the issue is this. When storms arise, or I'm going to the other side, the safest place to be, the place that has the least risk, is when I'm in the center of the will of God. If Jesus is in my boat, it doesn't matter how much the water rages, it doesn't matter how much or how intense the storm is. When I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm in the will of God, even though I don't understand it cognitively, that I know I'm in the will of God, I need to realize I need to use my faith and trust God. I trust you, Lord, to bring me through the storm without being harmed. I want to grow in my relationship with you, and so I know that I have a divine opportunity surrounded by danger, but God is in it. 
Here's the other lesson that emerges from the text. I must leave the crowd. When you look at verse 35, it says something so challenging. That evening, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the east side. So they left the crowd. And his disciples started across the lake with him in the boat. Some of the boats followed along. Note the word that I highlighted. So they left the crowd. See, when it comes to spiritual growth, you can't take everyone with you. Jesus specifically chose to go to the other side of the lake. Why? New opportunities, new adventures, new souls to win, new experiences to be had for his disciples, new teaching opportunities for his team. He did that and a storm arose and then when he realizes before he even starts to go to the other side, he leaves the crowd behind. I want you to know that we Christians, we're communal people. And that has a positive side and has a negative side to it. The positive side is we love people. And we want the best for them. Positive. The negative side is we want everyone to go along with us. The problem is you can't take everyone with you. And it's not because you don't love them. It's because sometimes God's called people to do something different than He's called you to do. That's one. Sometimes they don't have the morals, the ethics, the character to go alongside. Sometimes their vision, their perspective, the way they look at life is so distinct, distinctly different than yours that you can't cohere, you can't connect. It was many years ago I had to make a very clear statement to some of the people in my life, in my world. I said, God has called me to be an authentic reconciler. To bring together people that are black, white, Asian, Latino, biracial, bring them together. I'm a reconciler. And for some, they couldn't handle that because they may have been Afrocentric. Their blackness was the center of their life. I said, I'm not Afrocentric, I'm Christocentric. Christ is the center of my life, and you can't have two centers. Either Christ is a center, or you're going to be ethnocentric. And so I chose a Christocentric worldview. And that meant I had to shed some people because I'm not going where you're going. I'm going into all the world to touch everybody that I can touch and love everybody I can love in a godly way. I want to be Christocentric. And I'm saying to you that we must recognize that if you're going to fulfill God's will for your life, there's some people have different values than you, different dreams than you, different desires than you, different appetites than you, and you can't go their way. They'll take you the wrong way. This monkey was eating a bunch of mangoes. And he just loved mangoes. And one day as he's eating mangoes and dropping the seeds and the skin on the, on the ground beneath his tree, this alligator comes swimming in the river, comes right up on the riverbank. The alligator looks up in the tree, sees the monkey. And the monkey's just eating away the juicy mangoes. And the alligator says, I'm so hungry. I don't know if you knew alligators can talk. He said, I'm so hungry. And the monkey said, have some of my mangoes. And he dropped some mangoes down. The alligator looked up and said, alligators don't eat mangoes. 
He said, try it, the monkey said. And so the alligator popped a couple of mangoes in his mouth, and he looked up. He said, these, these mangoes are sweet. They're very good. And then he just swam off. And during the week, periodically, the alligator would come back and look up in a tree and strike up a conversation with the monkey, and they would eat mangoes together. The monkey would drop down mangoes, the alligator would eat them. And then one day the alligator said, you know, drop down some extra mangoes. I want to take some to my wife. I don't know if you knew that alligators have wives. <laughs> he said, I want to take some to my wife. And so he's, he's, he's swimming, he's taking the mangoes to his wife, and the wife says, the alligators don't eat mangoes. He said, yeah, I know, that was my sentiments before, but these mangoes are real tasty, sweetheart. Just go ahead, take some. And his wife ate some mangoes, and she said, they're very good. And a week later, the wife feigned as if she was sick, started speaking. I whispered, I don't really feel well. And so her husband said, what's wrong? She said, I just, I just need to eat a monkey's heart. <laughs> and that monkey friend of yours, his heart must be very sweet, having eaten all those mangoes. Her husband said, look, that's my friend. And husbands, you know what, what this is like. <laughs> Honey, I don't feel well. Wave at me, husbands. You understand? <laughs> There's some stuff you got to do. You got you to bring a monkey's heart. So the alligator goes to you know, the tree, and he comes up, and he says, you know, monkey, Mr. Mr. Monkey, he said, my wife is so appreciative of all the mangoes you've been sending to her. She wants to meet you in person. The monkey says, I, I don't swim. The alligator says, doesn't matter. I'll give you a ride on my back. Monkey says, cool, jumps on the back of the alligator. As, a, as they're going through the, the lake, you know, the, the alligator says, I, I must be honest with you. My wife really wanted to eat a monkey's heart. Monkey said, why didn't you tell me that before? I left my heart in the tree. <laughs> so they swim back to the tree. Monkey jumps off. He says to the alligator, you get away from me. I want nothing to do with you. See, there's some people you can't take with you. If you're wondering what the moral of the story is, you, 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 you got to leave the crowd behind. There's some alligators in your life. Leave those alligators alone. Let them go do their thing, and you go and do your thing. See, nothing, I'm talking about change and the need for us to change and the need for us to understand when we change, we're not taking the crowd with us. Nothing stops an organization faster than people who believe that the way you worked yesterday is the best way to work tomorrow. It's not. Growth demands change. Have you heard of Lobot? That's Lowe's department store robotic store assistant. They have it in, in California, in San Francisco, testing it out. It is multilingual, stock-assisting droid, and it greets customers. In fact, they're training it how to greet customers by name. So imagine I walk into Lowe's. said, David, what do you want today? Good to see you. said, good to see you. I mean, it's, it's amazing, the idea. Even in, in Japan and some of the international airports of the world, they have robots that are used for security guard, entertainment, and even to get information. Here's a little girl standing in front of the, the robot. Who knows? Maybe telling her a joke. I hope it tells it better than me, but I, I, just, I, I just want you to see that. You have to be open to change. I don't know what changes will take place and must take place in order for us to grow, but we can't hold on to methods and practices if we're going to grow and become the kinds of people that God's called us to become. Are you with me? 
And so Jesus teaches us this lesson that let's cross over to the other side. A storm may arise, leave the crowd, and then the lesson concludes when we hear this. It's in the storms that we listen for God. we got to listen for God. And this incredible experience of listening for God is how we become the kinds of people God's calls to become. I bring it to Mark 4, verse 39, and says this. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Notice, in the midst of the storm, when Jesus' voice was heard, Quiet, be still. It's telling us we must listen for God. Let's listen for God. And Proverbs 3 verse 6 puts it this way. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. You see that? So what the scripture is telling us is, look, God's always speaking. And sometimes in the midst of our storms, we're, we're not listening. We're just panicking. We're, we're, we're frantically moving around aimlessly, thinking that, well, my moving around, my panicking, my screaming is going to get God's attention. God is only moved by faith. And Proverbs tells us, listen for God. In everything you do, in everything you see, and when you listen for God, He's going to direct you in the midst of the storm. Let me bring you back to my pizza factory. I was so frustrated. I sent out hundreds of other resumes. I even sent out resumes to Saudi Arabia. I heard they were looking for engineers. In a couple of weeks, and they were going to give you a house to live in free, car to drive free, and a big salary on top of that. A couple of weeks later, got a letter back. You don't have enough experience. Sorry. So I sent out hundreds of other resumes. The only job I can find was working in a spaghetti factory. My job was to stand up on this 30-foot high platform. Like you see this platform here, it's probably about maybe three feet high. This was 30 feet high. My job was to take raw spaghetti out of a brown carton box and drop it down a mechanical chute so it gets packaged into you know, the small spaghetti boxes. You probably ate some of the spaghetti I, I, I dropped down that chute. And so I still have the action down pat, though that was 37 years ago. If you ever invite me over to your home for dinner, it better not be spaghetti. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so here I'm dropping spaghetti down the chute eight hours a day. Graduate degree in engineering. Like 3.9 GPA out of 4. I mean, is this, is this, this is what I'm doing. And so my boss, who had a third grade education, he was 30 feet below me on the floor, he'd yell up at me, hey, David. And when he did that, the hundreds of people working, they would stop what they're doing because when you're yelling up and, and the voice just ricochets, hey, David, everybody just stops. You're doing it the wrong way. Now, there's only, there's no wrong way. He just, <laughs> he just wanted to embarrass me and say, you're not all that. I don't care where you've been educated. I don't care what you do. You're working for me. And so, and, that's, and, and he was doing that, and I was just getting angry. And just angrier, not only at him, but at God. And I, I couldn't even pray. I'm so angry. 
dropping spaghetti all day. Lunchtime, I went out to my car. I had an old beat-up Peugeot. Everything was wrong with that car. And I'm sitting in the driver's seat, and I pull out of my pocket, my pocket New Testament. Christian now, maybe about seven, eight months. I figured, let me read the Word. But I was so angry at God, I couldn't even read the Bible. So I take this pocket New Testament, I'm reading it, and I just flip it down on the front passenger seat. Here I am, so young in my faith, thinking that when I flip it down on the passenger seat, God's going to know, that's how I feel about you, God. I mean, it's just, I'm so, I couldn't even think clearly. And then when I'm angry, I, and, and I, I started praying. And when I, I'm angry, I use big words. So I, I'm praying, I'm using big words to tell God how disappointed I am in his leadership in my life. And as I'm praying and spouting out these big words, I'm surprised God didn't kill me in that car. But it'll be like one of those Law and Order episodes, just lay it over. (laughs) And so I'm spewing out these big words to God till how angry I am with Him. And then I pause because I ran out of big words. And so I'm sitting and just thinking, what what other big word can I tell God? And in in my pause... I heard for one of the first times in my life the audible voice of God. It's as if someone was sitting in the back seat. These were the words, David, if I call you to work in this spaghetti factory for the rest of your life, will you do it? I know the words. Quickly, my mind raced for a possible answer. If I said yes, I was lying. If I said no, I was disobedient. Checkmate. He had me. I paused. I decided to be honest. And I remember saying to God in that parking lot of that spaghetti factory that afternoon, God, if you want me to work in this spaghetti factory for the rest of my life, I will do it and I'll never complain again. When I stepped out of that car, Everything had changed. My heart was no longer junked up. My attitude was no longer nasty. I no longer felt shame for what I was doing. I no longer felt this sense of embarrassment. I walked back into that factory, and I worked as if I was an owner. People would come to me and say, hey, are you a Christian? I said, why do you ask me that? I said, because of how you work. I didn't realize that my work ethic was tied to my faith, which was tied to how I deal with God. And it was in the storm that I heard the voice of God. I'd love to tell you that the next day I got a job as an environmental engineer. No. Next job, I worked for Sears. I was a stock boy in the back room throwing sofas on the shelves. Next job, I worked as a janitor. Next job, I worked as a courier back in the day for AT&T, driving from New Jersey to New York twice. Next, next job, I worked for some other type of thing. And so God wanted to work stuff out of me. When I finally landed my first environmental engineering job, it didn't have the kind of appeal to me that I would have wanted. It didn't mean to me because God wanted to drive out of my life a measure of pride So I knew how to trust in him and to know how to honor people no matter what station of life they're in. But I let you know it's in the storm 
that I heard the voice of God. Some of you are in a storm right now. And I want you to listen for and listen to the voice of God. Four little principles out of Mark 4, verse 35 to 41. An incredible experience that marked these disciples forever. 